You're listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. Mezzo-soprano Judith Kristen is backstage at Lyric. It is all about listening, and it is all in the score. The score tells me everything. It tells me when to breathe, what to think, how to react, or not to react. If it's doing its job so well, then sometimes you do nothing, because you don't have to underscore the music all the time. Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Roger Pines of Lyric Opera of Chicago. For this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with American mezzo-soprano Judith Kristen, a favorite artist with opera companies all over the United States, who's returning to Lyric Opera to portray Mamma Lucia in Mascagni's Cavalleria Rusticana. Before we get to the interview, here's the story of the opera. Two Sicilian villagers, Turidu and Lola, are in love. After Turidu leaves for military service, Lola marries Alfio. Upon his return, Turidu consoles himself with Santuzza, but he soon resumes his affair with Lola. Devastated, Santuzza pleads vainly for Turidu to return to her. When he refuses, she curses him and reveals the affair to Lola's husband. He challenges Turidu to a duel, and the remorseful Turidu begs his mother, Mama Lucia, to take care of Santuzza should he not come back. Alfio kills him in the duel, to the horror of everyone in the village. And now, on to my conversation with Judith Kristen. I hope you enjoy it. I'm here with Judith Kristen, who has returned to Lyric Opera this season to sing Mama Lucia in Cavalleria Rusticana. Welcome back, Judy. Nice to be back. Have you added up the number of Cavalleria productions that you've done? No. I haven't added anything in my life. <laughs> it's too daunting. But I probably, this is one of the more popular pieces I'm cast in. Mm-hmm. This, Marcellina, probably a lot of Mozart, a lot of third ladies. But this this is definitely, and especially as I've aged, I've even moved into the part even more easily. <laughs> um, there have been a bunch of cavalrias lately, haven't there? Yes, there have. With San Diego a year ago, and this time, and then... Houston, this production. This very production. Yes, this is a wonderful production. I love it. Um, What do you enjoy most in this, this production particularly? Well, the set is brilliant. The detailing of the set is brilliant. And the sense of this sort of time passing down a street, and it kind of enters and empties out into a square where there's this, the mom's... pub, her place, where she's, she is, and the church going off to the center. I like it. There's a sort of sense of that how the time passes, how the day passes. I love that there's a move to it. There's a look to it that uh, angles and moves around. And uh, I just I think that it feeds a lot of great theatricity in, in the way it's designed. So you can believe in what you're seeing as a real community. Oh, absolutely. The detail, look in the windows, and there's pictures of husbands and crosses, and there's just all kinds of very small that somebody with binoculars might have a feast trying to see but there's a lot of detail so it's very real it's, the flooring is uneven it's it's like a typical Italian uh, area and you uh, just get this sense that it breathes have you performed Cavalleria in any other period other than the basic sort of late 19th century no I've always done it in the standard the standard period it's now 
In Cavalria, you have dialogue with all three of the central characters, that is, Santuzza, Turidu, and Alfio, but you don't actually get an aria. You're usually uh, a listener. So how do you make your presence (laughs) felt in the role? Well, I think it is all about listening, and it is all in the score. The score tells me everything. It tells me when to breathe, what to think, how to react, or not to react. If it's doing its job, so well, then sometimes you do nothing because you don't have to underscore the music all the time. So for me, it is a real listening time period. And what's difficult is, especially in Turidu's final aria, when he runs off, you're really quite choked up. And you have, that's your best part of your singing, a few high notes. So you really want to have something left to sing that brief moment. So besides that, what other kind of singing is she actually doing? It's more recitative. Uh, she certainly sings along in the uh, big choral piece. And uh, basically, I just think she's a presence, a strong presence, mm-hmm. and the kind of silent but curious person. And I think she's complicated because she's raised a son who's really out of control, yet she's the mama who doesn't want to acknowledge it. And she doesn't really trust Santuzza, as nice as Santuzza is. I don't think mama really, you know, as all mothers, you know, no woman is good enough for her son. And I think she's quite surprised at her being pregnant. I think she's quite shocked at him being involved with Lola. And then I think she's scared because she knows. She knows from the very beginning. I mean, once she finds out that Turidu has been with Alfio's wife, she knows that uh, it's not good. That's why I enter. I come in before he calls Mama. Oftentimes because there can be laughter, especially in American audiences. The tenor starts singing, Mama, and the audience finds it funny. It's a horrible time. So we've tried to fight that. And generally what beats that embarrassment that the audience feels is for me to get in and see him and see Alfio at the end and see Alfia go off, and she knows exactly what's going to happen. I see. Um, well, what sort of life does she have? She's a tavern keeper, basically. I think she's a businesswoman. Yes. I think she's smart. She obviously must be widowed. I don't know who, her, who the husband was. I think she is uh, that a tough Siciliano woman that is stoic, smart, loving, loves children, uh, forgives, I think, children easier than uh, adults, and, and, and a sense of, of real protectiveness in her family and what people think. It's a small communities, and small communities are ripe with gossip and people, and, and she's aware, I mean, especially with what she overhears all the time. What's odd is, is that you'd think she would have heard the gossip, perhaps, of Turidu and uh, Lola. But I think, I guess, again, mothers are sometimes the last. They are in this complete state of denial yeah. about their own children. So there's all sorts of stuff in this that's directly applicable to families and relationships Ooh, absolutely. today. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's surely, you know, it has all the Italian problems that families have, that men very much uh, drawn to their mother and, and seeking mother's love and approval, and yet doing everything that mother would despise and not approve of. So what happens to her after her son dies? The last thing you see is her sort of crying out with Santuzza after hearing that Turidu is dead. Well, so what I happens then? Well, I a little differently. I'm going for a little darker moment. I don't rush over to Santuzza. I let her come to me. And then at the end, when they scream, he's dead, I pull away from her and I collapse. And at the very end, I turn with a very strange look at her as if 
You did it. You did it. And it's not quite so magnanimous, not quite so warm and fuzzy. And uh, how it plays, I don't know. I did it in Houston, and I kind of liked it because it's a it's an enigma that Very I think needs to be solved. And I think, again, even in the Brindisi when he's singing. Uh, this is the drinking the song. The drinking song. I think she, she's already found out that Santuzza is uh, involved uh, in the end, in pregnant and then involved with Lola. And so when he comes in and he starts playing that whole thing to Lola, she's very embarrassed. It's awkward for her. So I leave halfway through it. I don't stay to the end. Jolly, smiley mama looking at her son who's singing beautifully and toasting everyone because she knows. Then when you see her again, she's come back in. She sees the knife out. She watches Alfio go out. And and it's almost as if she just knows. Interesting. Now, at Lyric, you've done mainly supporting roles, but there was yes. one show where you were the leading lady <laughs> in one of the great parts of American musical theater, High which point was... my career. And that part was... Was Mrs. Lovett, Sweeney Todd. Well, what was that like? It was thrilling. A lot of words. Sondheim is a lot of words. But it was absolutely thrilling. And to work with Bryn, I just did... Bryn Terrible. Yes, he's divine. It was a great cast. So I liked the production. And I liked our director and the conductor, and it was just. And when it when we got to the last sort of performance, and I was on stage with Gemignani, who was a, our Paul Gemignani was the conductor. I turned and I said, "Now I know why there's previews. I'm just beginning to really see what this is about. I'm just skimming the. You know, we did quite a few performances yes. for opera, but still that that sense of learning a part only by playing it over and over. When you were talking to me several weeks ago, you mentioned that you felt that there were a lot of sort of full circle experiences in your career at the moment. What are some of those? Well, I mean, this is, doing this role when I started early in my career, it's funny when you're given a part to play and you're too young. And and then you're given the part to play and you're just right. And that certainly has occurred now. This is certainly a role uh, I've had a long relationship with uh, Britain and I started in San Diego 20 years ago, about this time, doing uh, Auntie and Peter Grimes, and I'm returning after this uh, production to go to San Diego and do it again. And it's interesting, and, and uh, another couple of years I'll be doing Albert Herring of, of Mum, the character that I had very much started my career at, the very beginning of my career. So they're sort of fun to come around and do this, the role at the beginning of your life and toward the end as it mm. weans down. <laughs> A lot of people know you for your comic parts. I mean, my mother once told me that she saw you in Gilbert and Sullivan's Rudigore. Oh, that was and a fun prediction. And for weeks afterwards, she was telling me that your big scene in Act 2 was like the funniest thing she'd ever seen on a stage. So have you always had a knack for comedy? I think so. Well, that was particularly fun because I got to send up every Lucia that I babysat all those years on stage as Eliza. So it was my chance to play my mad scene. And, of course, Peter Mark Shifter, uh, rest his soul, was wonderful. He had me dissect a fly, pick my teeth after I'd eaten it. And it was genius. I mean, he, you, you know, you know, in order to be good, you have to have great directors, as everybody says. So with your success in comedy, was it difficult to persuade companies to let you have a crack at the heavy-duty parts like you know, Mother Marie in Dialogues of the Carmelites or Herodias in Zalme? Well, John Crosby in uh, Rest His Soul uh, in Santa, also, Fe. Santa Fe always saw me in unusual things. And he, he always understood my voice very well. Because interestingly enough, as much as I do character and lower things and I look the part for it all, I'm a lyric mezzo, I'm a high mezzo. So, so he gave me the opportunity of Mere Marie, which suited me vocally wonderfully. And uh, Cesca, Francesca Zambello directed that. And he also gave me, 
like Despina again you in know, Cosi Fantucci. Yes, which was like a more Anna Magnani kind of sense of characterization. So when people understand you and give you the chance, and I always felt because I've always loved people like Carol Burnett, and I've always felt that a good comedian is a good actor and I think it's timing and just uh, switch it off I mean if the audiences really know you to be funny you have to be careful you have to kind of watch it first but generally I think if you're really honest and in that moment and letting as a wonderful conductor said just remember to serve the music when you serve the music you can play anything I think you've done a number of world premieres of American operas was there one that sort of meant the most to you? Well, the most exciting probably was the premiere of Ghosts of Versailles by John Corriano. At the Met. At the Met. And that was filmed. And then you all did it with, uh, Wendy White did my part, wonderful Wendy White. Uh, it was the role of Susanna. And uh, Colin Graham had directed it. And uh, Susanna was, uh, I loved it, because, again, I, all the Marcellinas I've played on stage, it's fun to send up the character of Susanna <laughs> and, and to play a little, I wanted a little more space little more age to it but uh the leading baritone had an issue with looking too old so we we didn't age her up too much <laughs> but it was it, that was a very exciting time now you've described yourself to me at least these days as the bionic mezzo what does that mean exactly <laughs> i've had two knees replaced I started a year ago with my right knee and then last april i did my left knee so i'm in good company jim morris had his done we were comparing aches and pains creaks and noises that your knees make has it changed your life? Well, I can walk. I mean, I, I can't. The last time I was here, I was cabbing everywhere. I walked from the West Loop over to the museum, and I walked to church, and I'm just, you know, this is a great walking city, this beautiful building, so it's nice being able to see things not out of taxi window, but a now, walk. You, <laughs> you live in Colorado. How yeah. does that work for an operatic career? Is that easy? In these days, it's easy. And it's a big airport, Philly, you know, odd looking airport. I never understood what we got a new airport but we do. So it's uh, Denver's, it's, it's, an, it's almost the center of the country, so it's easy. I lived in New York 10 years, so I, I did do my, paid my dues, which is interesting. After I left New York, my husband got a teaching position at uh, University of Denver. After I left New York, I I gave up my $285 apartment on 98 Broadway over the Hoonan Balcony restaurant and then returned to make my Met debut a year later, paying more than 2000 a month. So you don't know your future. You know, you give things up and then it comes your way. I'm always curious as to, I mean, you're on the road a lot. So how do you take an apartment or a hotel in a city that is not your city and make it for a couple of months into a home. Well, I think we buy things. I move furniture around. I'll take it. I, I'm not into fake plants, so they go into a closet somewhere, or if I can get them out, I do. I'm, I'm a very aware of noise and try to arrange uh, that. You talk a lot with other artists. You find out what they felt about the building, what was going on. You always ask questions before you arrive, you know, what any construction, <laughs> because that's that's always an issue in big cities is the construction. This time I'm in Elizabeth Futrell's apartment, so that's nice because it's a singer-friendly apartment <laughs> from a wonderful singer herself. Well, I wish you lots of luck with Cavalleria, and thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org. <laughs>